freaking auto! This, this is Brock and Salk. Brock Ewart is my hero. Jay Buter just punched me in the kidney. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studio. On Seattle Sports. Oh, we're going to do you a minute. It doesn't really work that way, Sherm. This is a show that has my name on it. It kind of does, though. Brought to you by Carter Volkswagen and Ballard. Now, here are your hosts, Brock Ewart and Mike Salk. Hello! Hello! Good morning, Brock and Salk, Seattle Sports on 710CLSports.com, Seattle Sports app, and all the podcast platforms. That was disgusting. Seriously, what the heck? Don't let me curse today. Maura, you get your you get the dump button ready. Oh, These are no. the types of things that make me curse. What a what a It's been how many hours? And I gotta tell you, I haven't come down even a little bit from watching that. And that is disgusting baseball. Every single person on that team should in some way be ashamed by what happened last night. Other than Brian Wu, he gets a pass. Everybody else should feel some level of shame. Munoz should be okay, too. He probably did something. <laughs> I don't know what, but he probably did something, yeah, man. That was the worst one of the year for me last night. That was that was freaking awful. Justin and I were just talking about it off air. That, that Weems guy was falling apart at the seams. Like, it, it was, was in, broken. in your palm. Mora. If you had literally just stood up there yep. and not touched the bat, yep. he would have imploded and walked every single player. The bases loaded, nobody out, three, four, five up, and all three of them got themselves out. None worse than Cal Raleigh. I didn't think it could get worse than what I saw from France and Tay Oscar until I saw Cal swing at a check swing 2-0 pitch that was out of the zone. The yeah. heck are you doing? You, you and Brock texted our thread and Justin and I were behind. Like you let us know that happened before we even uh, yeah. got the to see the freaking heck are you doing, Cal? Just stand there, pal. Yeah. This guy can't throw strikes, and he didn't throw you a strike. It's 2-0. The ball is is four feet out of the freaking zone. Just freaking stand there. Just stand there. A puppet would be better than a player in this moment. How is that possibly how you lose a game? Every single thing this team does wrong got magnified last night. You know what Matt Brash's biggest problem is? Throwing strikes. He's got other strengths, but he can't throw strikes. Guess what happens last night? Walk, bang, run. Paul Seawalt, really good pitcher. Love Paul. You know what his one sort of bugaboo is? Gives up the long ball occasionally. Bang! Home run. Eighth inning. That one bothered you? That was a golf shot. I know. What are you going to do? Sometimes Paul gives up home runs. It wasn't a bad pitch. No, I thought it was a good pitch. It was a good pitch. It was a slider at the bottom of the zone. Guess yeah. what? Sometimes Paul gives up home runs. It got you. But those guys weren't really the problem. You're not mad at Matt Brash today. You're not mad at Paul Seawald. You're mad at a team that like was compulsively, desperately trying to ground into a double play in the eighth inning and finally succeeded after the Nationals screwed up the first one. All they wanted to do, please, for the love of God, let me ground into a double play. And the Nationals wouldn't let them until finally, finally, JP was able to get that done and ground into the much-needed double play to end what could have been a threat in the eighth. But that was nothing, right? You didn't really care about that. It was what you saw in the 10th that should have driven you absolutely bat-you-know-what insane. You get the stupid ghost runner on second. They walk J.P. Crawford to get to Julio, which should be a problem in and of itself. 
yeah, we don't want to pitch to J.P. Crawford. We want to pitch to Julio Rodriguez. Wow. That's where we're at. Dear Lord. But okay. Julio is given a gift. The guy can't find the plate. And what I mean can't find the plate, he threw three pitches, not even close. And on the fourth one, they so threw some absolutely cockamamie rule, give Julio first base because the guy wasn't looking or was looking. That's stupid. I'm all for the pitch clock at this point. Fine. It, it's working. It's great. That is a dumb rule. Why in the world should being in the stretch while Julio's looking up and then back down and then up again, that should not cost that guy a ball. The Mariners are given a gift because I'll tell you what, if they hadn't been given that gift, I bet Julio finds some way to get himself out on a 3-0 pitch 12 feet over his head. All right, fine. Gonna, they I'm put Julio on first base. Lounge music. I, feel like I don't want it. Today. I need to get this out. God. Sure? Yes, I'm turn worried, that like, crap off. I, I don't want like, it. I'm I don't about want your it. health right now. I don't want it. I don't need it. I don't want it. Because I haven't even gotten to the real problem, which is uh, Ty, France Ty France can't hit a whole can't hit a fly ball. Yep. Yep. So the, the one the that got me was Tay Oscar in the next at bat. Like, okay, dude, you're up in the count fine. Then he gets a pitch over the middle and he's trying to hit a home run. You don't need a home run. You don't need a home run. It's totally unnecessary. And to watch the broadcast on television telling me about their last Grand Slam, I could give a crap about when their last Grand Slam was. Stop promoting the home run ball. It's not necessary. Stop promoting the home run in that situation. This team does not need any incentive to swing for the fences. Nor does anyone watching need a reason to think they need a home run. Shut up! Stop showing that. They don't need a home run. They need a lousy freaking fly ball to center field. They need to not overswing. So we talk a lot about how, like, it's not the hitting coach. It's not the hitting coach's job to do this, or it's not like, I don't know, just a lot about how baseball seems kind of more hands off. At a certain point last night, do you do you look at them and go, like, just get out there and do not swing at these horrible pitches. What are you doing? I don't know what you do. I don't know what you do. I heard Cal talk after the game, and I appreciate Cal Raleigh trying to be the voice of of discipline, the voice of a leader. Cal had the worst at bat of the day in the biggest spot. He had the worst at bat of the day in the biggest spot. So I appreciate that Cal came out and tried to call the group out and say, hey, we got to play better. We got to do things. We got to execute. I appreciate that. I want Cal to be that kind of a leader. But for God's sakes, man, you had as bad and as bad as I saw all day. A walk wins you the game. Standing there in the batter's box like a corpse would win you that game in the 10th inning against the guy that had no idea where the ball was going. And on a 2-0 pitch, after two pitches that weren't close, you have a check swing ground out on a pitch two feet out of the zone? The heck is that? Why can't we swear on the air? God, I hate the FCC sometimes. You should, you should get a couple parachutes for days like this. Golden parachutes. That was that was the ugliest end, end of a game that I've seen. Oh, man. It's been a couple of years probably. I've never seen something as, uh, what's the word? Undisciplined, unfocused, messy, ugly, sloppy, wasted, hungover. Everything about that was uninspired and like they didn't want it. And the and Nationals were trying to hand it to you two different times. This is so gross.
It was. That's just that's. I don't know, man. I, look, it's one game. It's the middle of July, or not even. It's the no, end of June. That's the thing. It's not July yet. I'll feel better tomorrow. I'll probably feel better in a half hour. But I had to get it out, man. I was so mad last night. That is one of those like, I just just seething with anger. That's one that the Zoloff does not help. Yeah. Right. I mean, like what whatever it is, it needs more. That is brutal. That is not good baseball. And you know what? Good teams do that sometimes. That ha- It does happen, right? We saw it last year. Go back to the Kansas City loss right before they kind of finished things up and went to the playoffs and played great ball. It does happen. So I'm not going to – this is what sort of drives me a little bit crazy is folks who take a baseball game or a baseball moment and turn it into a more general comment. I don't know that that's fair. I think baseball, again, is decided over the course of 162 games, which is why you can't overreact to one game. That doesn't mean you can't get mad at one game. Mm -hmm. And that's the difference. I know there are going to be people who go, no, you're mad, Salk. Yeah, I get mad after all these games when they lose. What do you think? I'm a robot? I'm an emotional wreck, for God's sakes. Mm -hmm. I get mad every time they lose. I get psyched every time they win. I'm on the roller coaster, but I at least am trying to not take my anger in a moment or my excitement in a moment and turn it into something bigger, right? Bad plays don't mean that you need to fire somebody. Bad moments don't necessarily indicate something bigger. I don't mean, I don't know that today I feel like the Mariners have quit. I don't know that I feel like they've, like, like that's a, a bigger magnification than that's awful baseball that they played last night. It came on the heels of a few games where they played better baseball. And I understand that there is some of that up and down. And by the way, fans aren't the only ones who have that same overreaction. I'm going to play you some sound of both Scott Service and I'm sorry, both uh, Jared Kelnick and uh, Cal Raleigh from back to back days saying exactly the opposite things. Yesterday or the day before we had Jared Kelnick saying, yeah, we're, we're, we're moving in the right direction. We're doing everything right. It'll come around. And yesterday you got Cal Raleigh saying exactly the opposite. So, yeah, there's absolutely different vibes after a win than after a loss, and the players feel it just as much as the fans do. I'm not mad at anybody. I'm not, but, but like, I just think that there are bigger moments in a season, and not all of them, I'm sorry, not all of these moments, like, make a, make a statement. Can extrapolate out. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. You can't always extrapolate. Yeah. Well, they're four and eight in extras. That's frustrating. And you get the ghost runner at home. I, I, I don't know how you lose that game last night. That is an almost impossible game to lose in like five different ways, yep. but somehow they managed. And now they got to go back out there today, try to win a series with a 110 start. We'll be right back with things you need to know. It's Brock and Salk, Sales Sports on 710salesports.com. Need to know. 15 minutes past every hour with Brock and Salk. Here's what you need to know. Up first. Yeah, it's a bad loss in every imaginable way, and it is on every one of the players, coaches, manager, everybody. You just can't lose games like that. They were up three to one, they were up four to three, and they had plenty of opportunities, including three men on, nobody out, three, four, excuse me, four, five, six. No, three, four, five up in the tenth inning. You've got to find a way to win that game, and Scott Service knows it. We should have won the game. Uh, there's, there's no if fans or buts about it. Um, really disappointing. Uh, you put yourself in a position to win it like that, and we've had that game happen to us a couple times uh, here at home in extra innings. And it's something that you know we've prided ourselves on being really good in those spots, and we haven't been this year. 
Um, doesn't mean we won't be again, but so far we've had all kinds of opportunities to, to win that game. And it's happened to us a few times, so it's um, not really much to say. Yeah, if you can't win games like that, ultimately – over time, you're not going to go to where you want to go. And he's right. It's not about that one loss. That one loss happens. It's that we've seen carbon copies of it how many times over the course of this season. I think that's the problem. We got a anxious. There's no question. Um, you know, with, and Julio took the walk. We had a good at bat. Then they had the, you know, the uh, automatic ball four or whatever happened there. So you got the bases loaded. And, um, you know, there were some pitches to hit. But overall, the guys, uh, you know, got a little anxious. He's absolutely right. And by the way, yes, Julio did have a good at bat there. He did everything you would want him to do. And if the other guys had had the same kind of at bat, they win that game. Instead, they got anxious. They decided to swing at pitches they didn't need to swing at. They got themselves out. And here we sit after a, a really aggravating loss. So they'll get back to it today. They don't have a lot of time off. One ten start over at the ballpark. It'll be Logan Gilbert against Patrick Corbin, who is not having a good year at all. So another opportunity to win a series. It may be frustrating, but you got to go out there and try to find ways to just keep winning series. And you can do that with a win today. Here's the second thing you need to know. Yeah, the transactions and off-field stuff wasn't much better yesterday for the Mariners. The one piece of good news, Trevor got returned to the roster. He should help the bullpen, although, of course, he got tagged with the loss yesterday. That meant they finally needed a roster spot, which had been occupied by Chris Flexen, who was DFA'd. We've been kind of waiting for that to happen. I don't know what happens next to him. Maybe he gets traded during this time period. Maybe somebody picks him up, but I would doubt it. It's hard to imagine anybody would want to deal for him, and I certainly don't think they would want to give up a roster spot. So maybe just ends up back in Tacoma and and he's still an option down the road. If he can find a way to get things figured out against some uh, lesser competition. Meanwhile, in that area, Taylor Dollard, triple A pitcher out for the year. He has labrum surgery. Penn Murphy had his Tommy John surgery and Marco Gonzalez. Oh, here's more good news. Experiencing nerve issues. And he's been shut down for another couple of weeks. So, so far he's avoided Tommy John, but he's having forearm pain and uh, nerve issues don't sound like uh, that's making it any better. So, uh, yeah, I wish I could give you more good news. No, I got more bad news. That's just sort of how it's going today. Here's the third thing you need to know. Well, tonight things will change. The NHL draft starts from Nashville. The Kraken currently sit at number 20. They also have three second rounders and a host of other picks uh, tomorrow in the later rounds of the draft. How many of them will they make? How many will be dealt? God, they're in a position to go in so many different directions. Rob Simpson, Seattle Hockey Insider, joined us yesterday. We'll see what they can get. Who knows? Maybe they'll try to move up by utilizing one of those second rounders or a couple of them. I mean, they have a number of options. That's the nice thing about having those picks and acquiring those picks. But ultimately, it's the guys that you can interview and nurture and develop through the draft, like a Maddie Beneers, that are going to make the difference. Yeah, it does help to have homegrown folks, but the trade market is interesting. The free agent market's not great, but the trade market yesterday, Pierre Lebrun, TSN, reporting that the Kraken were one of three teams actively engaged in talks for Sharks defenseman Eric Carlson, who's really good. Just won the Norris Trophy. I think it's his third that he's won that's given to the league's best defenseman every year. He does have a big contract. He does have a no-move clause, but said he wants to go to a contender, and he's pretty open-minded as to what that might mean. So he would certainly help in a variety of ways as a quarterback on the power play as another defensive presence the idea of pairing him with some of the guys you've already got with what we saw from Vince Dunn this year obviously with Adam Larson Carlson and Larson 
That'd be a uh, pretty good tandem or one-two punch on your blue line. That Those is the, everything the you need to know. Carlson and Larson. You'd have to really think about it. Yes, that would be uh, upsetting. We, I told you, uh, we were watching Miracle on Friday. Did I tell you we watched Miracle on Friday oh. with the kids? Well, where does it rank in your sphere? Number one, actually. Number it's one, that number yeah. one. And just along those lines, Avery, halfway through, she's like, is that Jack or OC? And I'm like, well, that's Jack O'Callaghan. He's both people. Oh, he's the same guy. She's like, I don't understand. They look the same. And I'm like, yeah, that's the same person. Sometimes they call him Jack. Sometimes they call him OC. It's Jack O'Callaghan. She's like, oh. It was a bit of a <sighs> bit of a struggle. Hey, speaking of the crack, and Dave Haxtell is going to join us today. We've never had Dave Haxtell on the show, right? We've had Ron Francis yeah. a few times. Mm-hmm. We've had uh, some players. We had Jordan Eberle on the show, but uh, I don't think we've ever talked to Coach Haxtell. Correct. So what uh, we're going to do it today? We'll see. Uh, we'll see where it goes. Maybe a ball of fire of energy. And I don't know excitement. what he's going to be like. He's he's out of season. Do you think he lets his guard down a little bit? Why not? I don't know. Like, I. I you guys thought he sounded more enthusiastic yeah, it, in the NHL awards. I was say the last time we heard him talk, he's, he's just very serious. He seemed a little enthused. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's probably as high as he gets for the old school hockey. Time, what if he right? comes in with like a ton of energy <laughs> jokes? Yeah. He's <laughs> cr- cr- cracking wise, making, <laughs> taking shots at people chirping. Yeah. Awesome. I don't, I don't expect any of that to be the he, case, but the people guessing Haxel. I like that, <laughs> but we'll talk Maybe to him. We should ask DePoto if he has any questions for him. Cause he, he's a big cracking. I probably, yeah. Well, um, <laughs> poor, it's going to be an interesting conversation with Jerry tomorrow too. That was a, that was a tough loss yesterday. All right. We gotta, we gotta change the vibe here for a little bit. Uh, we'll talk to Jeff Passan, get his thoughts on the all-star game, which is coming kind of what that's going to look like here in Seattle. Stick around. We'll do it next. Brock and Salk sales sports on seven ten and salesports.com. You're listening to Brock and Salk. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studio. On Seattle Sports and the Seattle Sports app. It's Jeff Passon time. Good morning, Jeff. Good morning, gentlemen. How are you? Are we, are you? Dude, you look good on set the other day, Passon. I got to tell you, man. You look good. You, had, you, yeah, you exude. You, yeah, you exude. Uh, let's see how I can try it. If I was a consultant, and after a lot of years of doing this, I, I feel like I'm, I'm a consultant in some ways. I was in the gym in Birmingham watching you and Ben McDonald uh, to do a little baseball tonight before the College World Series. You exude a, an excellent confidence with still a likability. You know, because I think a lot of times there's just an arrogance that can come, but you have this confidence, but there's still a fun little likability. Uh, how, how do you do that? I, I, I appreciate you saying that because somebody sent me a, a screenshot of me on TV, and I believe my response to it was, what a smug bastard. Because <laughs> I definitely can have that Yeah, look that's too. what I would have described you as. Right. I was sort of surprised to hear Brock say that. I generally think more like smug bastard, so I'm very surprised. <laughs> you know... <laughs> Sometimes Brock gets it right. Sometimes well, he gets it wrong. Well, maybe it's because it's personal for me. And I realize, like, how was that guy in Hawaii for a week and still, you know, not very tan? Ah. Like, to me, that was the likability. Like, yeah, the, uh, Brock, the answer to that is uh, SPF 70. <laughs> right. <laughs> 70. I didn't even know such a thing existed. Unbelievable. Hey, well, you get Mike, re- when, you're as, when you're as white as I am, you know such things exist. <laughs> Are you uh, are you ready to come to Seattle here in another week or so? Oh man, it's sneaking up on me. It really is. Like this is this is the time of year where there's a lot of travel going on and I had to go drop my kid off at camp, so I'm up in the northeast and 
Got to go up there again this week for the all-star reveal shows. And, you know, when you have an all-star reveal show, that means you got an all-star game coming up pretty soon. Right. So I'm, I'm getting into town on like Friday, I think. Nice. Uh, I'm, yes. Going to, going to very likely go on a, uh, mandate with uh with greg bishop on friday night and uh then the baseball activities begin cool well i hope uh, we'll maybe even be able to get you in studio tuesday morning for for your hit. oh yeah no that, doubt. that would be great um what should we expect just to, for those for those of us who have not experienced an all-star game in our city and i have not i've never been in the city for, with an all-star game what is it like there's just a cool energy it, you know, it feels like when there's an all-star game in town that baseball is taking over every element of the city. And, uh, you know, there's always a palpable buzz going into the home run derby. And uh, while the game itself is is rarely exciting and it's still an exhibition game and it never should have counted for World Series home field advantage, and I'm glad that it doesn't now, it's still cool to see all of these great players on the field at the same time. Like the, the quality of what you get there is incredible. And the futures game is really cool too, knowing just how many players have gone from that uh, to stardom in the big leagues. And then it's just the ancillary events, you know, there's baseball everywhere. And that's like a dream scenario for me. I mean, baseball everywhere is a good thing. And the fact that a, a great city like Seattle is going to be spending, you know, the better part of a week uh, enmeshed in that, uh, I think is awesome for the sport. You think that home run derby could come at the most perfect time for Julio, a catalytic event to maybe jumpstart a second half run? It's, it's funny you say that because normally people are frightened of the home run derby. Like it's going to screw something up. Like we were last year, it. frankly, right? He went into yeah. it a little banged up. Like, I don't know if you want to mess with his swing. He was so good in June. And yeah, I think last year we had that reservation. I think this year, many of us are like, no, man, go for it. Get that glow, get that smile, get that joy back and go out there and, and use it as a catalyst. Yeah, I, you know, I remember being on the field with Eduardo Perez during batting practice for the home run derby last year, and he was watching Juan Soto, and he's like, I think he's finding his swing. And lo and behold, Juan Soto came out absolutely on fire after that. And, I mean, you know, it can happen. Like, you can get locked in. And, and Julio certainly was locked in last year at the home run derby, so... Uh, I, I'm not counting on it, but I am certainly hopeful. Hmm. Uh, Jeff, like a lot of people in baseball, I, I think we've all sort of learned so much about statistics over the course of the last now, what, 20 years or so. And there are times mm -hmm. where I take them very, very seriously and times where I will admit to still some skepticism. So I, I, I'll ask you this with that sort of as the background. The Mariners this year are actually scoring more runs than they did last year. They are actually giving up a few more runs than they did last year, which is funny because the pitching staff's been generally so good. But the biggest difference is the one-run games. Last two years, they've won a ton of them. This year, that record yeah. has gone exactly the other way. Is that something they are doing differently or maybe not doing the way as well as they did last year? Or is it simply a matter of sample size that would eventually even out in both directions? Yeah, I think it's probably more the latter. And I, I know that's not a, a satisfactory answer, but 
if if there were rhyme and reason to one run games, I think baseball would be understood a whole lot better. And there's just not like what about the Marlins has made them so good in one run games this year? I suppose you can argue that a lockdown bullpen is the kind of thing that manifests itself in one run games. You know, it's late and if you can throw in some relievers who are going to be able to put up zeros, then, hey, you're, you're going to do better naturally in one-run games. And yet the, the Mariners' bullpen, I mean, it's awesome. pretty darn good. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. so that that doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. It doesn't, it doesn't square with the, the theory that I have about – a, a bullpen being the key to one run game. Is there anything um, to pressurizing opponents and doing things to f- force them to make mistakes, et cetera? Yeah, I mean, yeah, that's just putting the ball in play, right? And the Mariners aren't very good at that. So I, I think that that certainly has something to do with it. They, they are not a team that plays very good situational baseball. They're not a team that's that you would say is well-disciplined. So this to me is more of an offensive problem than it is a pitching problem. Jeff Passon with us. Jeff, you do an awesome job of staying connected to all of these teams. And, and I know we're not your only hit during the week to talk about the team. Uh, and But obviously we're close to it. We listen to it. We're around it every single day. I'm curious from, from your perspective to fly in and listen to this cut from Scott Service yesterday. Uh, this was after a, a real nice win, a collective effort of putting the ball in play, uh, everybody on the team hit other than Cal, and you're going to hear him reference that. I'm curious what your takeaway is from this cut from Scott yesterday post game. Well, it's very selfless. And I think that's, you know, we've talked a little bit about, you know, where we're at in the season and, and what we need to do to put a good streak together. And it, it's no coincidence when you're selfless like that and you give yourself up for the team. All of a sudden, instead of just getting one run, we ended up with three runs that inning because we're doing the right things and executing there. So, uh, again, Cal doesn't get any hits tonight. But in my mind, he might have had one of the bigger bats tonight uh, in the game because it, it just moves the game along. Gino follows it up, like I said. Jared gets the momentum going with the stolen base and, you know, a really nice offensive game. To hear a manager speak of selflessness 80 games into a season, what's your read? Uh, my read is that he's implying that they have been selfish up to this point. And I, you know, I don't know if selfish is necessarily the right term there because I don't think that I I think selfishness is an active choice. And I don't, and I think it's a choice of bad faith, right? It's something that you're doing uh, knowing that what you are doing is wrong. I think the, the pressing that the Mariners have had this year, Brock, is more a function of them trying to do too much and trying to get themselves back on track because they understand that this offense is struggling and they want to be the catalyst. Yeah, we've and seen selfish. They, like, we, we've seen Sean Figgins. Like, we have seen that level of just inherent selfish bad guy. And I would, I would agree with you. This, this, to me, have you ever had somebody build a house for you or been around that situation or had something oh, built? Jeff, or, Jeff would do that himself. He's, he's the kind of guy who would build his own house. He's a handy. Yeah. He's, a, he's a handy like you, Saul. Yeah. That's, that's, I, am, I am not handy. <laughs> yes. I am no, not handy at all. You don't say. I, 
I, well, no. Okay, so what? Let's 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 like determine levels of handiness here. Tell me what constitutes. When was the last time you used a wrench and socket? When was the last time you can screw in a light bulb? You can change a light bulb. You're handy. <laughs> oh come on! Give me. I, I mean, I can. I hang things all the time. Okay, like, I can, do I, that I can too. use a. St- I can use a stud finder. Like I'm not laying tile. No, I'm not handy like that. No, like, God, that's no. my. That's my that's my brother-in-law. My brother-in-law is he's just the worst. He's he's like a Harvard educated doctor who knows how to lay tile. Like what a turd, honestly. (laughs) Okay, so anywho, you buried your brother-in-law. So anywho, back to the independent contractor. We we had some folks do some some basement work for us. Right. And it turned out. That one of the guys, the framer was one of the framers was terrible, and so then the guy that had to come and or no, the, excuse me, the framer was okay. The sheetrock was terrible. So then the painter had yeah. to come in. He's like, "This is a disaster." I mean, I'm going to try to yeah. clean up his mess, but it's just such a disaster. And it's like all of these little independent contractors trying to do their job. And to me, that is what this offense has felt like. Like, okay, well, I got to clean up this mess. I mean, we're just striking out left and right. So yeah. now I got to hit a home run. Right I, I, now, yeah. I got to try to do something superhero because you know we're getting no traction out of out of AJ or or Colton or you know DH or any of this stuff. So I got to and I and I know fans hate hearing I'm trying to do too much, but to me that is what I I, I hear Scott implying is just actually be selfless, just do the little thing, just move the runner along, don't just swing for the fences every time. Yeah, isn't this? To you guys, uh, a function of the Mariners' inability to get on base, like that—that's what all of this goes back to for me. If you're going to be a power-oriented team, uh, you, you know the Mariners don't have a ton of speed; they're not going to steal a lot of bases. So you got to find a way to put up runs. And uh, if you're going to put up runs via power, then you need to have guys on base. You know, you can't have that sort of situation where uh, you got a bunch of solo home runs. It's just not going to work. And the Mariners right now are 24th in baseball with a 309 on base percentage. And you're just not going to score enough runs. Yeah. Here's the if, problem, though, Jeff. You, Here's the problem. If you want to be a good slugging percentage team and hit a lot of home runs, you have to also have a good slugging percentage. And I think if you look, click, if you click over one column on whatever database you're looking at, I'm assuming baseball reference and, and sort by slugging, I think you'll see they're also 24th in slugging percentage. That is 100% accurate. That's a bit of a problem. And you can't be a slugging team and not slug. Yeah, but you can't. Okay, so let's say that you're a slugging team that's not slugging, Mike. You can make up for it by being on base. Agreed. And they're not doing that either. And they're supposed to be good at both of those things. I think that's what's frustrating is they've gone out and, and built a team that does strike out a lot, that isn't going to hit for a high average. Okay, fine. I can accept those things. But they're supposed to be able to take more walks. They're supposed to be able to have a high on base percentage. And they're supposed to be able to hit a bunch of home runs. And those things haven't happened this year, which is what's so aggravating. Out of 30 teams, do you know where the Mariners' strikeout rate is? 20, uh, 27th, 26th, something like that. 29th, only behind the Minnesota Twins who have Joey Gallo and Byron Buxton and a bunch of other guys who strike out, but actually slug too. So was this predictable? 
we had that conversation with Jerry last week and, and he, he kind of, you know, I think Salk asked him, you know, just that exact question. Here's, here it is. Here's Jerry's answer to that question. Don't know how, and I've said this before on the airwaves, I, I take full responsibility for putting this roster together. This is the same team, the same core of a team that, that, that did the things that it did a year ago and frankly played a pretty good season in 2021. And, you know, our pitching has generally stood up to, to expectations and, and then some. It's a, could we talk about park factors and weather in the early season? Sure. It's, it's now the third week in June, and we're still doing the same thing and, and making the same mistakes. And at some point, we have to, we have to collectively get back on track. And, and I don't think it's going to be one player at a time. I really don't. I think this is going to be one of those things that is contagious. Was this predictable to be the 29th strikeout team? Predictable to be 24th in on base? Predictable to be 24th in slugging? Was any of this, Jeff Passan, from your perspective, predictable going into this season? Brock, if it were predictable, I don't think I would have called Mariners fans spoiled for wanting more <laughs> offense. Fair. And I'm going to be, I, I, am, I am still, by the way, wearing that as, you know, Gave my Mia culpa, but I'm going to wear that one for a long time. I, like I, I, I referenced this in a conversation earlier in the week. It's uh, I was talking with a young person in the business who wanted to know what sorts of things to avoid, <laughs> and and I was like, you know, sometimes you should just if you have that thing that is in your head that may be just a little too far. Acknowledge that and don't say it. Just keep it keep it in your head. Right. Let it let it marinate there. Let it bounce around and uh, do not offer it out to the world because uh, you will embarrass yourself and look stupid on account of it. So in short, no, this was not foreseeable. You agree. That's yeah. I I did not think the Mariners were gonna have the offensive yeah. struggles that they did. Hey, so, so I thought that yeah, I thought that their moves in the honestly, I thought their moves were good. I did. I thought that they, I thought that they were going to be a better team in 2023 than they were in 2022, and they're a pretty darn good team in 2022. Yeah, we were looking at some of the projections, uh, like Dan Simborski's projection on Colton Wong this year was like a four, three and a half, four win player, and obviously it's been the exact opposite of that. I think he still has a negative war, but like. Yeah, I mean, it wasn't supposed to go like this. So one of the things Brock brought up yesterday, which I I tend to think was very smart, is that they put a lot of pressure on Julio, not just to deliver offensively, but to really kind of find his own way in the world. And and there's been a lot of talk about letting Carlos Santana go in the offseason and not just what he brought from a... um, you know, on-field perspective, but also off the field, maybe more importantly. And and when he left, one of the conversations was, well, you can always go trade and get him back. It's not like Pittsburgh's going to be any good. And after a brief (laughs) stint of being good, they're not. And they've lost, you know, nine of their last ten. Can you go get Carlos Santana and just bring him back? I mean, sure. But I, I don't think that that's the solution necessarily at this point. I don't think getting Carlos Santana would turn the Mariners season around. I, I know it helped. Uh, it, it did more than stabilize them last year. It supercharged them, right? And uh, he had big hits, but more than that, his presence in the clubhouse 
uh, was undeniably helpful for Julio Rodriguez, and uh, that goes a long way. But I, Julio's a big boy. Like, he needs to figure this out yeah. by himself, and he needs to – I don't think he needs to understand. I think he does understand that he needs to be better. And we've been saying this now for two and a half months. Um, as Julio Rodriguez goes – so go the Seattle Mariners. And the fact that he's batting 250 with an on-base percentage barely above 300 and a slugging percentage, you know, in the 420 so, range, it's just not enough. So why not go get Carlos Santana? It can't have to give up much to get him. And maybe in addition to getting a guy who, who might hit you a few more home runs like he did last year, especially if you can use him in the right spot, maybe he helps Julio unlock that and we get the Julio that we had last year back again. I, listen, your your point is well taken, and and I suppose I don't disagree with it fundamentally. But uh, at some point, the mama bird kicks the baby out of the nest, and that baby's got to fly. But at twenty two, yes, at twenty two, absolutely. He he has he has willingly taken on the mantle as the fulcrum of the franchise. So I I think that, listen, there are lessons, Mike, that you are going to learn at 20, at 22, at 25, at 30, at 35, at 40. And I think Julio Rodriguez is going to be a guy who plays, you know, until he's 40. I I still believe in the talent. I still believe in everything about him. But um, this is the first time he has seen true failure in his professional career. And and he's not having, by the way, let me just say this. He's not having a bad season by no. any means. He's just not having the sort of season that either he or Mariners fans or the organization or the public writ large expected. And I, you know, in 2023, that is a bad thing, but for 2024, 25 and well beyond that, I think he's going to really learn from this Mm -hmm. and not take for granted that the game of baseball can turn on you in a second and can humble you even quicker. Hey, when you uh, said writ large, was that when you realized that you weren't going to be particularly handy? No, I feel like you can be erudite and handy at the same time. I would say that's a rare combo. I think that's why you hate your brother-in-law so much. Like that's a pretty rare oh, I combo. I don't hate him. That's the that's the problem. I don't hate him. I'm jealous of him. Yep. That's what it is. Exactly my it, point. Yeah, it, it's it's uh, jealousy manifested in all the wrong ways. This is this is this is a true story, and I feel like we uh, when I was at Yahoo Sports we. Uh, did a podcast, me, Tim Brown, and and Mike Oz, my all, all my good friends and colleagues from there. And there was a segment, and it was called "Is Jeff Passon a Bad Person?" And this this is a perfect example of the question: Am I a bad person? Mm-hmm. At Christmas one year, um, my my brother in law and sister in law came to Kansas City, and they wanted to get my father in law a dog. And this dog that they had found was about two hours away and it was a particularly white Christmas and they were driving back in a snowstorm and we got a call from them saying that my brother-in-law had lost control of the car and that they had slid on the road, slid off the road and the car was like in a ditch and they couldn't get it out. 
And my first question was, are you okay? And when they said yes, I had a smile on my face because finally I found something that I could do better than him, which is drive in the snow. Did that make me a bad person? You asked if they were okay first? Yes. Gosh. The dog was okay? Dog was fine. I think you're safe. I don't think that makes you a bad person. I'm with you. Mm. I think that's totally fair. Yeah. But I'm also not a great yeah, person. I, so I, 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 I think I, I think you're revealing more about yourself. Yeah. Here, no, I, I, I think we're smelling a new segment, Jeff. Thank you. I think you know the best radio is always, always stolen radio. So I think I think every Wednesday at eight thirty is Mike's all. I bad can spare you the suspense. We really don't need the segment. We already know the answer. We've learned it over the course of fifteen years of doing this together. Jeff, great stuff as always. We'll talk to you next week, uh, and then uh, see you the week after that. Can't wait. Uh, looking forward to it, boys. Right. We'll do double personal time next week, bro. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. How about yeah. that? That's going to be very exciting. Now, uh, Jeff Passon will be uh, with us in studio, in person. Not uh, not something you get every day, which is great. It'd be good to uh, good to have him in here with the All Star Game uh, and the whole weekend of festivities, and then the week of festive. I mean, just like a, it's a whole thing. I'm sort of hoping there'd be a little more buzz around here about it. Maybe maybe that's just sort of some of the leftover Mariners aren't where they're supposed to be kind of stuff, but. It's a pretty cool event, right? Yeah. I mean, like, I feel like I think you're right. The first, your first inclination is that because the team has not been living up to it, that was part of the fun that we thought about last year. We're like, oh, 2023, where how many officers are we gonna have? Right, <laughs> and then. Yeah, none, right? I mean, it's going to be like George Kirby and nobody. I mean, they came out with the top two, right? They're down to the top two for every position. There's not a Mariner on there. I mean, and, and there's not really anybody that deserves to be on there. It's not like you can even come on to the radio and complain that so-and-so is getting jobbed. There's no snub. Mm-hmm. They don't have any position player that has any sort of a realistic case to be made that they should be an all-star this year. But I still think baseball fans are going to love the weekend. With it's going to be man, great the here. The futures game, the softball game. But God, the there's, there's very little buzz. Maybe people don't have enough money to go spend on the tickets because they spend it all on Taylor Swift. Like, I don't know. <laughs> Taylor Swift tickets are more expensive yeah. in Seattle than anywhere else in the country. Yeah. And yet, I feel like the all-star buzz is kind of like, hey, come on, guys. This thing's like a week away. Like, let, let's go. Let's start to feel some of the some of the excitement of what that's going to look like. You got to get through the holiday first. Get the you got to get through the holiday? Get through the fourth. All right. I'm pretty that's psyched for the fourth. All right. Oh, cool. All right. Justin, you know what? I hope you're right about that. That sounds good. Weather's turning schools out. It'll get there. Do you want more complaining or would you like uh, to be infuriated by a positive take? Because we might be able to take you in both directions next. Brock and Salk, CL Sports on 710CLSports.com.